Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Charlotte Hayes, Director of Cultural Programs at the Independent Women's Forum. Today, I'm here with IWF Senior Policy Analyst, Hadley Heath-Manning, and we're going to be discussing the college loan debt crisis. This is a topic that Hadley has recently covered in a series of policy focuses for IWF. By the way, the articles are great, and they're available online at IWF.org. Hadley, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Charlotte. Well, Hadley, to begin with, so what can you tell us about the college debt crisis in the United States today? Well, for a lot of people, they don't need me to tell them because they are student debtors and it's a personal problem. They have to pay, uh, you know, some kind of monthly payment to service their student loans. But all Americans really should be concerned about this because uh, if you're not aware, our student debt in total in this country has reached $1.3 trillion. And due to interest and the um, Um, the new loans that are being given out, uh, this debt actually grows by about $2,700 every second. So this is something that's kind of reached an out-of-control level. Uh, About 40 million Americans currently hold student debt, and the average loan is now over $30,000. So this is a significant financial hurdle for a lot of people, especially young adults who are just trying to get started in life. Hadley, some people may have heard about student loans and the very low interest rates available. So what are these interest rates facing student borrowers, and and who sets these rates? Well, today, if you went to apply for an undergraduate loan, um, whether that loan is subsidized or unsubsidized, you'd have the same interest rate. It's 4.29% or about 4.3%. And um, that may sound like a very good interest rate. I think it is. You know, that's We've had very low interest rates in other markets like the home mortgage market. If you're a graduate student, of course, um, you'll face a different interest rate. That would be about 5.8%. And then if you are uh, co-signing with a parent as a graduate or professional student, you have the highest interest rate, and that would be about 6.8%. And these rates are good until... July 1st of this year, um, because at that point, um, legislators and regulators will reevaluate the rates. And so that brings me to the point that there's the same interest rate for every person, every student, you know, depending on which category they're in. But if you're an undergraduate student, it doesn't matter what your credit history is, doesn't matter uh, what you're planning to study or where, the government sets these rates. And so they, they offer one rate for all undergraduate students and, and one rate for uh, any graduate or professional students. So this is determined by um, Congress. It was uh, actually 2010 when Congress, um, with the same legislation actually that created the Affordable Care Act, took over the student loans industry. And so now the federal government, or Uncle Sam, is is the sole uh, direct lender of all student loans. Prior to that, we had a system where the government would offer subsidies to private banks, and those banks would make and manage the loans. That wasn't a much better system than what we have to now, now because... Um, Of course, taxpayers were still at risk. If people defaulted, then um, those subsidies that were going to banks, um, we were still on the hook for in terms of being taxpayers. But now, of course, we bear even more risk because we're directly making the loans uh, as as a part of our government from the U.S. Treasury. So uh, they're low interest rates, but in spite of the fact that they're low interest rates, we have many, many people who are having trouble making their payments. In fact, only about 37% of today's debtors are actively paying down their debt. Others are using deferment programs or um, they're delaying their payments or they're behind on their payments or they're in default. 
Well, Hadley, a generation ago, it seems like student loans were not the, the, the enormous problem they are today. Um, what's, what's happened to Creator, really, to fuel this problem? What's changed, Hadley? Well, I certainly think the um, over-involvement of the federal government in the student loans industry is a big part of the problem. Um, but we've also seen a huge increase in how much money it takes for a student to get through college. So regardless of what kind of college you're going to, if it's a private college or a public college, um, the cost associated with tuition, with room and board, when you add all those things together, um, then you find that in just about one generation, we have seen those costs double, uh, actually more than double after adjusting for inflation. So um, we're looking at two, two problems that are sort of tied to one another. Of course, many people have student debt and they're in trouble with uh, paying that back. But a lot of that is caused by the very related problem that college has become uh, prohibitively expensive for people who want to pay for it out of pocket. And so this necessitates their taking out a loan, and then they end up in this sort of financial treadmill after college um, trying to pay it off. Um, Hadley, student debt obviously poses a serious problem at the national level. Taxpayers are, supposed, are exposed to a lot of risk. Um, but, but it's also a big, big personal problem for young adults. What are some of the ways that student loan debt indirectly affects our economy and the financial, financial security of, of, of young adults and actually of young families? That's right. And, and it's actually it has some impact on family formation. According to some surveys, um, there's one survey by the American Student Assistance Association, um, and it's called Life Delayed. And, and they surveyed a lot of young student debtors. And you may notice, Charlotte, that I'm using the word debtor instead of graduate, because a lot of people who take out student loans do go on to graduate college. But we have an enormous problem in this country with people who start college and take out some kind of student debt. And then they, they never finish the degree that they set out to finish. And that makes it all the more difficult for them to pay back their loans because then they're not really eligible for the types of earnings that most college level jobs might offer them. So um, all those people lumped together answered in this survey that about 63% of debtors um, said their debt affected their ability to make larger purchases like purchasing a car. About 73% say they put off saving for retirement. Um, many family milestones like uh, getting married, 29% of young adults said they were delaying marriage due to their student debt. 43% said they were delaying starting a family due to their student debt. And then an overwhelming 75% said their loans were affecting their decision or their ability to purchase a home to get a home loan. And then this statistic I thought was the most disturbing, that 27% or more than a quarter of student debtors said they found it difficult to afford daily necessities. And so this is putting a lot of people at risk, not uh, just for default or ending up in a bad position with their credit, but it is uh, making it so that they're more likely to ask or need for government assistance. That affects us as taxpayers as well. Um, and certainly it affects all those industries that I mentioned, from the car industry to the home industry. Uh, we want to see a vibrant economy. And, and if we want that, then one thing we need to think about is how to empower some of these people who are stuck on that financial treadmill of debt to really become uh, the consumers and investors um, and, and strong family consumer units that they could be if it weren't for this debt burden. Um, Hadley, those are pretty alarming figures. So I want to ask you this. Politically, where are we on this issue? Who are the groups or politicians who are most outstand, outspoken uh, about addressing this crisis? And, and, and what are some of the proposals out there? Well, you know, it's... Uh 
it's a it's a very one sided issue politically because we hear so much from politicians on the left side of the aisle when it comes to student loans. So um, you might you know some people say this is just an effort to pander to young voters or millennial voters, but certainly um, Senator Bernie Sanders has made this uh, one of the centerpieces of his campaign. He says that um, you know he wants to offer some various forms of student loan forgiveness, um, but he really focuses on his proposal to make all public colleges and universities free, tuition free. Uh, in other words, to use federal tax dollars to fund um, those education programs. And that's a very expensive proposal. It would cost over $75 billion a year. Um, and of course, he proposes to do this through various tax increases. On the other hand, you have um, former Secretary Clinton, who's also running for president. She says that she would like to make all community colleges free. So she has a slightly uh, more mild proposal. And then there are some groups on the left, quite frankly, in our political system that have very extreme perspectives on the issue. And they propose that we should just offer a blank check forgiveness for all people who hold student loan debt. Um, Obviously, that would result in in a lot of um, lost potential for government revenue. But I, I have to point out that that would be really unfair. It'd be really unfair to uh, forgive someone who, you know, maybe didn't make the most prudent and frugal decisions about financing their education, uh, while there are many other people in the U.S. who have tried to be very prudent and have tried to be very frugal, have tried very hard to pay back their student loans. So we have to think about, you know, not just the financial calculus of, of what student loan forgiveness would mean, but also what it means in terms of rewarding irresponsible decisions and punishing people who've made very responsible ones. Um, Hadley, you've written critically about uh, some of these proposals, including student loan forgiveness and tuition-free college that we were talking about. What's wrong with these ideas? I mean, they probably seem very, very attractive to people who have these loans or who are facing a big tuition bill. Right. And I can certainly understand that. I mean, personally, my husband and I have had student loans. Um, we were very fortunate in that we we didn't have to pay for our undergraduate tuition, but then my husband went on to medical school and um, he took out a, a pretty sizable loan to get through medical school. And so we've been working very hard to pay that back. Um, but of course, you know, we, we understand that there are problems with some of these suggestions that the government should simply sweep in and, and save the day um, by changing some of the, the these things about forgiveness. It's not just that some people want uh, the government to forgive all student loans, but of course um, there are some milder proposals where the government would um, only forgive some of your student debt. And in fact, some of these programs exist today. So if you go to work today for 20 years and you make payments for 20 years, then the um, balance of your debt can be forgiven. Another proposal, uh, another reality, actually, this is already something that President Obama has put into effect. If you go to work for 10 years and you work for um, a nonprofit employer or a state government, then you can have uh, the balance of your debt forgiven after 10 years. And he sort of refers to these this kind of work um, as working in the helping professions. If he says, if you go to work in one of the helping professions, then you can have your student loan forgiven after 10 years. I think it's problematic to categorize some professions as helping and, and some as not helping. You know, there's nothing wrong with going to work for a private enterprise or a for-profit enterprise. In fact, many of those companies do help our society in, in many ways. Um, but I would, I would really point out that, uh, you know, because we've talked about forgiveness a little bit and the costs and the unfairness associated with that, but when it comes to this idea of tuition-free college, I mean, that is one that I think people are really excited about until they consider uh, how this proposal would significantly alter incentives, not just for students, but also for colleges. So on the student side, 
many places have tried this. You know, in fact, Senator Sanders points to some European countries where they do offer tuition-free college. And he says, you know, look at what a success this has been that the government finances everyone's college. Unfortunately, um, you know, if you understand from the economic perspective, that reduces to zero your cost of dropping out of college. Um, And we already, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, we already have a huge problem with people starting college and not finishing. So, um, our experience worldwide and in certain state programs is that tuition-free college actually does increase the number of people who enroll in college, but it doesn't increase the number of people who graduate college. And I think, you know, if we want to really go about solving the problems as they really are, as they really exist in our education system, our higher education system, then tuition-free college isn't the right solution. In fact, it would just be an expensive proposal without the result that we really want. Um, So if these ideas from the left are not the right solutions, what can we do? What can be done to address the college debt crisis, Hadley? Well, I'm glad you asked, Charlotte, and that's what the um, second policy focus in this series from IWF is about. Um, it's it's really important, I think, whenever we talk about politics that, you know, maybe we can be critical of proposals that we disagree with, but I think it's also important to talk about how to address the problem. So it's very easy, I think, if you are someone who views um, the government really at the center of this problem to be the center of the solution. And that's why we hear politicians on the left so often proposing government-centric solutions. But it's a little bit harder to articulate and to paint um, a clear picture of what the market-friendly solutions to this might be, because we wouldn't rely on government to be at the center of solving the problem, but instead we would rely on market forces like competition to solve the problem. And um, just to be a little more specific about what I mean, um, we need more competition in in two different places. Number one, when it comes to higher education itself, um, colleges and universities um, have... uh, you know, they do an incredibly valuable service to society by offering educational courses, but they certainly shouldn't have sort of a monopoly on education. And, I, you know, I think it's time for a real paradigm shift in terms of uh, how people are educated. Uh, we want to be sure that people who are coming out of these institutions are ready for work and have uh, learned what they need to learn before they start a job or enter the uh, workforce. So in order to do that, we might consider some accreditation reforms. We might consider expanding access to online learning platforms um, and to competency-based learning programs so that people who have the skills and have the knowledge can get credit for that without having to pay extremely high tuition prices. Um, Other things we might do are consider how colleges themselves um, really have captured some of the subsidies that were intended for students through aid and through lending programs and hold colleges accountable too. Um, They have a responsibility to taxpayers instead of to sell um, degrees that may lack in value. So colleges that have particularly high numbers of students who are graduating and ending up in default on their student loans, that could be something that uh, colleges have some skin in the game as well. And of course, when it comes to the other place where we really need competition and accountability, that is in the student loans industry itself. And so we've got to move away from this system where Uncle Sam is the only lender um, because, of course, this does expose taxpayers to a lot of risks. But, but it's also not fair to lenders because many lenders um, are very low risk. They are going um, into a, a profession or um, studying something or going to a school that has a very good track record when it comes to employment after college and the um, 
you know, the probability that they pay back their loan is very high. Those people might be, you know, do a lower interest rate than someone who uh, doesn't have a good credit history or doesn't have um, plans to, you know, solid plans that looks like they're going to be in a good place to pay back their student loans. So it really doesn't make sense that all student lenders face the same interest rate. We ought to have a competitive market in terms of those interest rates so that private lenders can compete for our business and can offer us the best interest rate according to our individual factors and individual uh, risk related to our loans. So I think if we could restore that private market in lending and increase the competition that colleges and universities and student lenders face, uh, that would do a lot to put downward pressure on prices and to give more uh, more opportunity to more people uh, to access the higher education that they want and need. Hadley, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for being our guest this morning uh, on this edition of IWF Working for Women podcast. Thank you for our listeners, too, for tuning in. And by the way, you can find out more about this topic and many more topics of interest at IWF.org. Thank you, Hadley. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.